Hi, welcome to episode 25 of the Rugged Angel podcast. As always, I am your host, Camila, and thank you for tuning in. I've got a couple of announcements, both are Pittsburgh specific. First, are you a filmmaker in Pittsburgh? Do you love horror films? Do you think you can make a horror film in 48 hours? Well, then the Pittsburgh 48 hour horror film project is for you. It's coming October 16th through the 18th is the filmmaking weekend. And um, yeah, I will give you a line of dialogue, a prop, a character and 48 hours to make a four to seven minute horror film. Our kickoff will be held at Boom Concepts in Garfield. All the films will be screened on October 25th at the Hollywood Theater in Dormont. And this is your time to shine. This is your time to scare Pittsburgh, to terrify us with the craziness that's going on in your head. Put it on film. Go to 48hourfilm.com slash Pittsburgh for more information. And you can also go to our Facebook page, the Pittsburgh 48 Hour Film Project. Also happening in Pittsburgh. This weekend, Wizard World Comic Con is going down at David Lawrence Convention Center downtown, September 11th through the 13th. You can get your geek on, and all weekend, it's going to be a great time. I am going to be moderating a panel on gender roles in the Whedonverse on Saturday from 12 to 12.45. It's in room 301, so come by the room, listen to some super fans geek out about Joss Whedon, and um, just enjoy. And you can also win some prizes. We're going to be doing some trivia, too. We've got some cool geeky swag that I'm sure you'll love. So, um, yeah, so check that out. Wizard World, go to their website. They have all the information for their ticket prices and so on and so forth. And there's, like, a bunch of really cool things that are other things that are happening, like James Marsters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is going to be there. David Duchovny from X-Files. Yeah, that guy, Mulder, he's going to be there. Adam Baldwin, the list goes on. Alfred from Gotham. It's going to be a great time, and I hope to see you there. So speaking of geeking out, this episode is with one of my role models. Um, This woman is producer and host of Filmmaker's Corner on WQED. It is the one, the only Manette seat, and I have looked up to her for quite some time now, and I was just very honored to to be able to sit here and talk to her for over an hour and as you'll find out the time went over a little bit we were close to two hours but that's cool because she's just that interesting I learned a lot from her um we laughed a lot and it was just like a really great time and I look forward to hanging out with her more often um I fangirled on her a little bit but that's okay I'm over it I got past it I, I addressed the situation we moved on so, um, but at, and after a while, she started to interview me. So I guess, you know, you just can't shake that if that's what you do. Um, we talk about being used to not fitting in, uh, the punk side of Pittsburgh, choosing not to go to college, and eventually finding your tribe in life. I am still just kind of gushing over her and her existence. So this is for all of you strong women out there. You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. Maya Angelou. So, without further ado, Manette Seat. Yes. 
Welcome to the Rugged Angel Podcast. Thanks for having me. I am super honored to have you here. Oh, please. And, to, and it's, it's also a little bit nerve-wracking because, I mean, you're a professional interviewer. And, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. It's Oh, God, don't be like nervous. You're, you're, such a, you're such a big deal. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. I think all the time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, like, God, do I have on good underwear? <laughs> what if something would happen right now? Like... Does anybody know, like, that 12.30 last night I was laying in bed, like, thinking of questions? Like, like, yeah, uh-uh. <laughs> it's like a whole other story. We had a, um, recently, Jeremy Braverman from Point Park was one of my guests on Filmmaker's Corner. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, you give such good interviews, you could give a course. And I thought, in what? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm glad people like it. It's. I was taught well by Chris Moore. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> okay, so um, I just want we're just going to talk about you okay. for an hour, and um, and not necessarily just what you do, but who you are. Okay. So that's what I, I want to get into. So let's get, let's kind of start at the beginning. Like, are you from Pittsburgh originally? I am from Pittsburgh. I grew up in Wilkinsburg. I've been in Pittsburgh all my life. Uh, lived here, though I traveled a fair bit, mm -hmm. but most of the time I've been here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the your better places that you enjoyed traveling to? Um, I really enjoyed. We've done uh, maybe two or three trips to Spain. Um, a really good friend of mine, my best girlfriend, actually moved away to London a few years ago, oh. and she married a Brit. But before that, her older brother has lived in this tiny little beautiful town called Sitges, which is right on oh. the Mediterranean. It's like a 40-minute train ride from Barcelona. So you go there, and you hang out at Daryl's house, and he makes paella on the grill, nice. and you watch Barca football. And it's just, <laughs> you have this idea of what Spain's going to be like the first time you get there. But when you get there, and there's like this really cool black guy from Philly who <laughs> has a Spanish wife, and they have this beautiful like multiracial child, and everyone in town loves him because Daryl's like the mayor of Sitges, and he's like, you feel like you get this this treatment that you wouldn't get otherwise That's so awesome. he's made it a really comfortable place so spain is one of my favorite places it's so sunny and warm and it's just there's beauty on every single corner um we went to buenos aires a couple oh, years ago nice. for vacation and that was really startlingly wonderful um my boyfriend ken had a really hard time convincing me to go there um why i kept saying i'm gonna get kidnapped He's like, you, nobody wants you. <laughs> you know, I have that same, like, irrational fear about going overseas. <laughs> and, it's, and I blame things like, you know, like, I forget exactly what movie it was. But it's like, I always say, like, no matter where someone's like, oh, you're going to go to Barcelona. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm going to end up in a Turkish prison. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Okay, so you did not get kidnapped. I did not get kidnapped, and I had some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life, and they, they take their beef very seriously, really? as you may have heard. Like, you go to a lot of places, and it's just one beautiful hunk of perfectly grilled meat after another, and all these breads, and dips, and wine with everything. Oh, my gosh. You leave the house, and it's like, wine? It's like, of course. Um, <laughs> it's so historic and so spread out and it's just everything is blooming and there are these trees that have these tiny purple buds we went in may right before it got really really hot and you walk down entire streets and everything's covered oh, in man. purple buds and you go to the pink palace where evita was and it's not like when you go to our white house i mean there's mm -hmm. security around it and there's a big fence but every day someone comes and writes new graffiti about really? what they disagree about with the government all over these giant statues and these monuments in the middle of the plaza right across from the Pink Palace. They are the most 
vocal political people you've ever seen wow. in your life and they it must be very free after years and years of oppression and disappearings and things because now if people like don't like the way the sewers work they're in the streets and they're immobilized <laughs> and they're spray painting everything oh my goodness yeah it's 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 such an interesting place in a in a million different ways it's not like it doesn't have its problems we mm. saw homeless people mm. like immigrant people sleeping in doorways in the big shopping section downtown. Right. Um, there's always a tendency in countries like that that there's a, always a very affluent class and mm -hmm. then there's the artist class and then there's the normal everyday working people. And you forget when you travel overseas, it's just like home. Right. There's poor people and there's people who are struggling and there's people who have their, their rights are stamped on, but you're on vacation and you're just so, your eyes are so sparkly. Right. You're and in you awe of everything. everything. Yeah. It's like, oh I, my I, God, is the best cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to put your hat on straight when you get there and think like, this is really cool, but you don't want to make sure that whatever you're doing isn't at somebody else's expense. Yeah, most definitely. That's another fear is like, you know, you want to go there and respect the culture and respect the people that are there. Right. Because, you know, it's, they're not there for like seven days. Like this is their life and you can't just, Exactly. Exactly. Like, look at them, it, it, treat them any old kind of way just because you're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so privileged. <laughs> yeah, and they have, um, it's been there forever for as long as there's been the slave trade, but they also have like a, an Afro-Argentinian hmm. culture there. Really? Um, that's starting to really make itself known um, with music and art and speaking out in public and like really making that community wow. a force so that's something that i didn't expect either yeah. i just figured in south america everyone's a blend of something mm -hmm. between spain and africa but right. to see those people really identify themselves that's and amazing. to have like you know a part in a street special and you know when you walk down the street people really are doing the tango right in the middle of the street shut up like on saturday <laughs> they have these market days and you go down these long, long streets and there's just stalls and sunglasses and tube socks, just like American flea markets. <laughs> and you walk around, but then there'll be like this perfectly dressed older gentleman with a scarf around his neck and this elegant woman who's in her 50s with a skirt slid up to her hip and they're just tangoing and there's a guy playing beautiful guitar and everyone's applauding. And it's just oh like, you just sit there and go, <sighs> Did you tango? I did not tango. Why not? I just, you know... I wanted to, but we were going to go to a tango lesson thing. And I always like, I'm always so embarrassed when I go someplace and I see somebody like they get a little bit of music in them and they get up and they do that wiggle butt dance. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to sit here and embarrass my country by doing the tango badly. And there was this American who came through. <laughs> you should have seen her. <laughs> So what was like growing up like? Are you the are you the only child? Do you have siblings? I have or... two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. Um, growing oh, so up, middle child. I am the middle child and the, and only, the only girl. girl. Mm -hmm. Wow, you must have been that was really special. <laughs> <laughs> growing up was um, I want to say it was like pretty normal and average. I think in most respects, we lived in Wilkinsburg. My mom worked in the schools. She did like, you know, she ran Head Start programs and reading programs and things like that. And my dad was a teacher. He died um, when I was 10. But before that, he taught at Taylor Alderdice. He taught oh, wow. at Westinghouse High School. He taught chemistry. So there were always like microscopes and bunts and burners oh, wow. and slide rules and crap around the house. Um, I think about some of the things that he did when we were younger that I would have never have done. Um, he was in World War II. Mm -hmm. And I remember vividly putting on like, his helmet and his big green coat and dragging around the backyard and his German phrase book and like just destroying all this stuff that right now would be a wonderful keepsake. Right. Like, but you know, it's like, go play with it. I don't care. 
you know, wow. and I remember like catching bugs and sticking them in the microscope and cranking it up. And like, if the knob went too far, just like walk away from it. Like you just broke a Tonka truck. Like it was nothing. Like, <laughs> it yeah, I think it's still in my mom's house as a doorstop right Ouch. now. It's like <laughs> the slides are gone. Everything's ruined. But yeah, my parents were really, it must've been an odd time for them. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, it was the sixties. And I remember things were changing, but in a way I couldn't really identify. Uh Um, Racially, things were changing. Mm. Socially, things were changing. I remember my dad being this huge fan of Bill Cosby Mm. because of I Spy. And I remember him Mm. being so visibly excited when there used to be the old Dean Martin show. Uh He used to have this variety show that came out. And and there was the very first one of the girls that used to be there. He had this chorus of beautiful girls who followed him around and served him cocktails. Yes. Um, I forget what (laughs) they were called. As you do. Um, (laughs) But Jane Kennedy was the first black one. Oh. And she was this beautiful, leggy, light-skinned girl. And I remember, like, it was, like, such a big thing. Like, oh, my God. There's a on right. the Dean Martin show, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember specifically there was a detective program called Mannix. Mm-hmm. Mannix had an assistant named Peggy. Mm-hmm. And Peggy was this very attractive black woman who ran the office and kept things rolling and, like, dodged all the bad guys who were coming looking for Mannix. And at least once in every three episodes, there'd be a situation where Peggy was almost kidnapped or Joe Mannix was in danger and she always had perfect pumps and a matching handbag. And she'd reach in her handbag and pull out a gun and say, Joe, and throw the gun to him. And like save the day, and I thought I'm gonna be Peggy. Like <laughs> Peggy was like my role model. Like she was like, <laughs> that's amazing. She could like take dictation, and she could run the office, but at the same time, she like could get out of a dangerous situation. I thought I'm gonna be Peggy. That's awesome. So I guess you know, growing up at that time, there weren't too many no. African American female role models positive on the television just in your home no there weren't and it's just to be able to turn on this tv show and see this very quaff put together extremely intelligent woman. i mean there was her and there was lieutenant uhura right and then julia came along later Um, diane carroll right bless her heart and so i've always been obsessed with television i mean Mm. even when i was a little kid one of the big things my mom always loved movies she told us stories about when she was growing up down south in north carolina sneaking into the movie theater with her brothers and sitting up in the balcony and just staying all day long where all the little black kids sat and watching Tarzan movies and things all day long. And I think I kind of got this contagious thing from her of always wanting to be around movies and television and just... I remember getting out of bed late at night and sneaking downstairs and watching the million dollar movie with Dale Taylor through like, through the railings at the banister until she'd like say, come downstairs and like I just always loved old movie shit. So <laughs> okay, so your fascination with like movies and film is just it was basically just kind of there. Yeah, it's it's as long as I can remember. I've always loved movies and television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what among like what were some of your favorite ones when you were growing up? I remember loving Batman, of course. Right. We always watched Batman that could be a conflict though because combat would also be on the opposite channel and my dad loved World War II drama so there'd be like lots of crying Batman <laughs> so why can't we watch Batman he'd um, be like that's my damn TV I paid for that TV set and it would be combat right <laughs> there's no argument there sorry uh-uh. dad nope um, 
I remember liking HR Puff and stuff, but being really confused by it. <laughs> like it was even like trippy to a little kid. Like why were the, it, there was so much makeup and sponge and I'm the, not like 100 percent sure because I don't. I'm pretty sure I've never actually seen an episode of you HR Puff. You have to see it. Stuff. <laughs> you have to see it. It'll be like wow. Now I know I gave up drugs. It's just like it's you have. To, it's the strangest thing. People got away with all laughing. I oh, love. I remember those laughing. I yeah. thought it was hilarious. I didn't even know what half the jokes about, were about. Right. right. And Judy Carn died today the original yeah, socket to me girl i saw that yeah oh. it's just yeah it's it's a trip just like how you know somebody you don't hear about for years upon years and all of a sudden it's like oh my god that's like part of my childhood like exactly i remember like dancing in a bikini with stuff painted on her yeah. and like pig meat markham and here comes the judge and sammy davis jr <laughs> showing up and it was just again i don't know if today, outside of something like, you know, maybe Comedy Central or, or one of those kinds of channels, you could get away with the kind of things they got away with then. Right. And I don't know, understand how that, like, what, why, why do you think that was? That they were able to get away with stuff just because just TV was still kind of a new entity? I'm not really and sure. We weren't really, they weren't really sure. It's like, oh, maybe we should be monitoring this a little bit closely. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, to a lot of certain extent, society was still pretty oppressive in mm -hmm. the 60s. And like, especially like in 1968, when like the whole world was in tumult, mm -hmm. to have this program on where people are telling saucy jokes and, right. and making weird political references. And I mean, Richard Nixon even showed up one night and says sock it to me oh my goodness like, how did that happen right that's yeah and also i remember benny and i still don't know to this day why i was allowed to watch it or how i got past my mother but like the benny hill show oh, yeah that's like extremely just like wrong on so many levels <laughs> <laughs> yeah they were not worried about exploiting women like not even a teeny bit on no, that show absolutely not yeah, yeah so in a way, it was a strange time to be growing up and seeing like all these things happening, mm -hmm. like in the media and around you. Our neighborhood was changing when we moved into our house in Wilkinsburg. We were only the third black family on our street. Oh wow! By the time I was nine years old, there was only two white kids left on our street. Wow! So to see all that stuff changing around you, were um, you aware of? Yeah, of change? Were you yeah, we were of aware of it. I remember. Um, I mean, I was only three when we moved there, but I remember my mother telling us stories about, you know, a bunch of housewives in the neighborhood when we first they first moved in, came over and talked to them and told them how important it was to keep us in the driveway. And we could play in front of our own house, but they didn't really want us mixing with their kids. Oh, my God. Um, and that was a strange thing. It must have been for my mother who, yeah. you know, they moved there from Homewood and she they moved to Pittsburgh from the south, from North Carolina. And so, you know, to have had this fairly open and progressive life, I mean, Pittsburgh has always been famous for its undercover racism mm -hmm. back in those days, but to have it just blatantly someone knock on the door and instead of them bringing you a plate of cookies, they just made say, please keep your children where we can yeah. keep an eye on them. Yeah. And then to see that change, to see people just move out of the neighborhood so quickly, it's like the moving vans were like, zoom, <laughs> zoom. Like, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, what was, like, school, was it more... Were you seeing the same thing like when you were in school, like yeah. less and less white kids in Yeah, your by the time I got and... to like fourth or fifth grade, it's simple school, which is no longer the building, no longer exists. I think there were maybe five white kids in our whole school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what was like high school like for you? High school was completely, it changed because when you got to high school, it was still, there were still six elementary schools in Wilkinsburg. What high school did you go to? I went to Wilkinsburg High School. Okay. And so when I got there, um, it was still 60% white. 
Okay. And the kids got along really well. Um, there were days when there was like, I mean, I will never forget when Roots came out. That was mm. just like, oh, black people were angry when Roots came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pr- like, when did Roots come out? Come out like. 71 maybe Uh, 70 i remember like when i was maybe like in fourth or fifth grade and it came back on television that was just like you know yeah once again it was like another upheaval uh, of the the anger and the frustration and you know every black family is in front of the television you have to sit down and watch roots yeah but yeah yeah and so that kind of would leak over into uh you know your day-to-day school day Mm -hmm. there would always be some kind of remark that was just like you know some white kid would inadvertently bump into somebody and it's just like (laughs) <laughs> the same roots. Like, but, you know, things turned out. Kota. My name is Kota. <laughs> Your name is Toby. <laughs> I could never look at Chuck Connors the same way again after that. <laughs> but, yeah, um, high school was um, pretty evenly mixed. I had um, a lot of white friends in high school. I was in the girls' ensemble and the acapella choir and my best friend Charlene and I joined the flag squad where I think she carried the I carried the Pennsylvania state flag I don't remember what flag Charlene carried but we were both really bad at it <laughs> like after we realized you have to like stand on a football field and it's really really hot and wear a wool uniform and that's, a big like q-tip hat we were terrible like, yeah we weren't <laughs> real good at that awful. so I have seen and I think there are high school photos of you of, and like you're kind of like a punk like you <laughs> that was actually in my early 20s that was um that was yeah that was so you're all part of the like you, you were into like the whole punk yeah, we pretty much hung out at the Electric Banana and Chiefs, my brother and I, pretty much every night from Chiefs, say, Chiefs Cafe on Craig Street, which has turned back into, Chiefs was originally like an old man jitney driver yeah. bar. And then the punk started drinking there because you can get an Iron City and an Imperial for $2 for a shot of imp and a can of iron, and your dinner would be two hard-boiled eggs out of this big jar and a bag of corn curls. And, like, it was like, you know, a 10-minute walk from the banana to Chiefs, so you could go to Chiefs, drink your belly full, walk up, see a band for $5, stay there, and sweat yourself to death, and walk back down to Chiefs and get last call. And it soon became, like, the punk rock bar. Everybody went to Chiefs. And then, you know, it's just like the earth reclaims its own. Right. Chiefs has returned to what it used to be, an old man jitney bar with like, you know. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty much, we saw lots of bands. Um, the Electric Banana, is that what used to be, or where like, I guess it's a Porsche dealership now or something? No, actually, it was up on Bigelow, and it's Zara's Italian restaurant. Johnny Banana oh, okay. still owns it, and oh, it's wow. still got a lot of the old, like, knickknacks that were there, suits of armor and daggers and skulls with blinky eyes of kind of, <laughs> if you've never eaten there, you have to go, because... The food is incredible. I mean, Judy makes her own sausage and giant meatballs that are the size of softballs, and it's like this wonderful old-fashioned giant place full of all this food, but you can still look around and see the remnants of, um, you know, like, oh, look, there's a scimitar on the wall. Where where that came from? And, like, this is where the stage used to be. We used to stage dive from here. So. So were you just naturally drawn towards the punk era, the punk movement, or was was there anything, like, in particular that, like, do you recall, like, your your first some whatever it was that struck you was like oh my god this is this is what i i just think it was like 
the loudness of it yeah. and the freedom of it and the not the, the cons not, complete lack of like constraint or at least it seemed to be it was just all these people joined together in their common disdain for normalcy mm -hmm. it was um always feeling slightly odd a little bit like i didn't fit into other things but mm -hmm. then finding this thing where i felt like i fit in with all these people who just had a general mistrust mm -hmm. of how things went Interesting. um uh, uh yeah i don't know it was i was led into it partially by my younger brother mm -hmm. um he was friends with these guys in a band called the five mm -hmm. and they were like you know this raining punk rock band and we would go and see them and it was just like this mashing together of all these different kids from all these different parts of Pennsylvania, really, because there were mm -hmm. kids who would like, you know, get their parents to drive them from Harmony, PA, oh, and like wow. they'd sleep on somebody's couch overnight. And there was a hardcore scene, and then there was the older punk scene, and then there was the kind of spinoff, kind of not really punk, kind of cross with hippies. The CMU Fine Arts kids had their own bunch of like things, mm -hmm. and then there were like the six or seven black punk kids that we all knew each other, and we <laughs> were all like, it was just like this thing. Uh -huh. That we did for most of our early twenties. Was it a difficult? Like, was um, was punk lacking? Like in in Pittsburgh, was it something that was hard to come by, or was it just like that was the that was the huge like it's truly we got in on the last gasps of it. Their uh -huh. first punk started like you know in the late seventies, probably seventy nine and eighty. So mm -hmm. by the time. We got involved in it probably like 82, 83. The, I'd say the scene was pretty as big as it ever was. Okay. Um, but there were tons of bands. I mean, the old like punk ethos of like, like bothering to learn how to play your instrument. Right. Like two weeks like after you knew somebody, they'd be like, let's start a band. <laughs> um, but then there were some kids who were really, really good at what they did. There was a really vibrant underage hardcore scene mm -hmm. um, that was led by like Real Enemy. And there were like these kids. And it was just always this strange kind of energy going around when you'd be on the bus and you'd be going someplace and you'd see somebody whose jeans were ripped and they had on a leather jacket even though it was 84 degrees outside and it <laughs> like you had this instant like recognition yeah. like, hey, hey, I've seen you. Yeah, how you doing? How you doing? And it was like... <laughs> It made you not feel so strange about the things you like. Like, mm. if you knew every line of dialogue from Taxi Driver, nah. if you'd seen it three or four times already, and mm. then you saw somebody who had hand-painted Travis Bickle with, uh -huh. like, the mohawk on the back of their jacket, it was like, oh. They are my people. They are my people. <laughs> it's like, I know you. We are yeah. we are one. Yeah, like for somebody to be totally into, like, weird, crappy horror movies, like the no lines from Blackula. Like, right. that's just, like. You just now, felt like, woof. Yeah, now that was something um, when I was in high school that I kind of, I mean, not necessarily punk, but just like feeling that outside, like an outsider, just for different things that I liked or, or whatnot, and not really letting my freak flag fly, essentially. Yeah. Um, so was that, I mean, did you kind of skate around in that way? Was it more like a, you know, oh my God, I need to find my people. Like, I, I am, where's my tribe? Um, I don't remember ever consciously looking for them, but I remember when I found them, I was really glad that I did. I mm. always kind of had that thing of um, my brothers and I always like, we were like the whitest black people around. Like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> the way we talk, the kind of things that we like, the shows we watch, the music that we like with just a little bit off mm -hmm. kilter from what the rest of the kids like that we grew up with. Right. Um which is not to say there weren't other kids like us, because right. there were. Um, and I think they were thought of as almost just as odd as we were. Um, yeah, I had a really good friend's 
Lopez and Chang, and they were way far into comic books and comic book mm-hmm. art, and they would spend hours like just drawing, like recreating, like all the X Men. Like they knew <laughs> Chris Claremont in the name, and then like, you know Steve Ditko in the name of every famous comic book illustrator and artist in the world, and they would draw these things incessantly. And luckily, they both ended up moving to Los Angeles and getting jobs oh, working wow. for comic book comics as inkers nice. and colorists and stuff. But I remember. When a lot of kids were playing football or baseball, we'd be like sitting around, like talking about the relative merits of Wolverine and the yellow outfit as opposed, <laughs> and that just. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, I, I think it was like I was always like wrapped in this kind of veil of geekdom. I just didn't know it was okay till much later. Yeah, yeah, it was years upon years later yeah. when I, I was finally. Brought, it was finally brought to my attention. Oh, this is fine. Yeah. This is totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you, where did you go to college? I did not go. Really? Yes, I have never, I have never attended university. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am the, the, uh, I am the exception to the rule. Uh, That's amazing. God. Yeah. It makes me love you even more. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, this goes back to high school. I was in, because of my love of Peggy, mm-hmm. I was in Future Secretaries of America. <laughs> I actually have trophies at my mom's house for doing shorthand at 90 words a minute with only two errors. Oh, it was a thing. We went to state competitions, like taking dictation and typing. Oh, yeah, man, I was all over that. (laughs) And IBM Selectric was my bestest friend. I loved it at that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I was in this work-study program at high school, and after school I started working at the installment loan department at the Mellon Bank in Miracle Mile Shopping Center. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And then there was a job opening. I looked at it, WQED, and I went there, and I was the administrative assistant to the vice president of the public relations department, and then it just went from there. It was like I was there in this building where they were making, like, you know, Wonderworks and Once Upon a Classic and all the National Geographic specials, and I was like, this is is what I want to do. This is That's amazing. And I guess it was just at a time when, when... it wasn't such a thing if you didn't have a college degree. It was mm-hmm. more about, like, what can you do? Right. Which is something that's kind of lacking these days. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But. I mean, it would be, you know, I I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating to see. There's just so many things that, like, job offerings or, you know, just prospects and then it's like oh you need we expect a blah 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 degree of this and yada 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 yeah. and it's like but really do you yeah because nine times out of ten the person that's coming out of college with that really doesn't have the experience that you're looking for and doesn't have the, the chutzpah that you right. want or they've got chutzpah and no experience right exactly right. it's it's frustrating yeah it is frustrating and i i read articles all the time about this person or that person who dropped out of college or just got out of high school and they started their own app that blossomed into some software program or they started a chain of small baked goods companies that's now cupcakes all over the country and they didn't even go to college and i'm like why is that person considered an outlier now is it just that we've conditioned ourselves to believe that only with those four years of education can you become something formidable exactly um which is not to say that i've got anything against education i've regretted a million times not going to college just because you know for the strangest reasons, you know. Such as? Because um, you never went to a kegger? 
I have always been prepared. I still have a beer tap in my basement. I can't remember the last time I went to a kegger, but I used to carry the tap to parties and make sure I brought it back home with me. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't messing around. Like, I am not going to be in a situation where this gang is not going to get tapped. No, I mean, I would like to make obscure references to Walt Whitman in a pithy conversation. Oh, okay. Those kinds of things. Or, like, be able to know, like, you know, not just how to pronounce Flaubert, but know, like, why does anybody give a crap about him? (laughs) And, And there's certain things, like, you know, you can sit down and you can be an autodidact and you can read till your ears fall off. You can use... August Wilson as your role model. Mm-hmm. I mean, what better example of somebody who didn't right. yeah. and did? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think it's all about determination and encouragement. If you've got people around you who are like, you've got to listen to this. You've got to mm-hmm. see that. I mean, one of my closest friends during the whole punk rock time was my friend Laura, um, who now teaches at a university in South Carolina, but she was majoring in art history. Mm-hmm. Um and she and I used to go to museums all the time. We would go to New York. We would go to Boston. We would go anywhere, and we would just spend all day long, like, looking at pictures and talking about Egon Schiele and why was he so fascinated with nipples and, like, why <laughs> were all these different artists, what did they do? And when you found out their little backstories and that mm. they were just as, like, torn up and torrid as the people who were, like, playing drums. and, right. and Like, it just gave you this different outlook on things. It was like having the key to the secret room where you have to go to a university to learn these things Mm -hmm. and having somebody just say, check this guy out. He was so screwed up, but look how beautiful his work was. And it just, it fed your imagination and your craving to know more about those sorts of things. So I've been pretty fortunate in um, having close relationships with people who have been more than willing to share their experiences and their interests and, and, say you should check this out and then just like stepping back and seeing what happens yeah that's like i absolutely love origin stories and that's like one like documentaries or like even just the behind the music yeah (laughs) like i just absolutely love hearing about like where they started from and you know that musician that you absolutely love and it's like why is this about this and what does this song really mean and yeah to them and who are you mad at when you yeah exactly are you still pissed at your mom You know, is that divorce still bothering you? Tell me, tell me. It's like, how do you feel having to sing it again and again and again and again every night on tour? Yeah. But, um, and I think it's also, it's interesting. I remember when I found out about James Baldwin and then mm-hmm. to find out that James Baldwin always viewed himself as this kind of uh, ugly person. That he was a gay, short, gay black man Mm -hmm. with great big buggy eyes. And that he never saw where he was going to fit in. But he was this great artist. And then he went to Paris and he found himself. Um, And he found this freedom of expression. And, you know, he could be write the greatest books in the world. But he could now he was someplace where people didn't think he was this thing. He was this artist. Right. And when you find out those kinds of stories about people, that they had the same kind of self-doubts and mm-hmm. that they often wondered about themselves and their place in the universe and what was ever going to happen to them. And and it kind of just gives you this reassurance that, oh, oh yeah, maybe right. I could. Absolutely. It's like, maybe I know, could. I'm not, yeah. I'm not the only one that has this self-doubt. You know, you see some of the greatest artists, musicians, writers, you know, filmmakers, and they're all somewhere back there there is this insecurity that they started off with or yeah. you know but it's somewhere along the line they either overcame it they had enough people around them telling them they could allowing them to or you know and it kind of and it kind of washed away at some point yeah and, and that's very it's very helpful to a lot of people it is and i and think i've always found it very helpful once you 
have that, when you have found, first of all, you find the person that you relate to or the people that you relate to. And then after you have something that you're supposed to do and you do it well, mm -hmm. and then it's like you've got the assurance that you're not alone in right. your thoughts and in your feelings, but then you've got the reassurance of your own self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Those two things just can kind of start to wrap you in a cocoon of, I can do this. Right. And that's, it's also, I guess it's kind of part of finding your tribe. It's that's true. Like <laughs> it's true. You need all of these elements stacked mm -hmm. on top of each other, you know, and then, you know, I can't say enough about a supportive family. I remember one of the things my mom used to always say to me when she was 17 years old, she mm -hmm. wanted to join the wax the Women's Army Corps. Oh, okay. But my grandmother would not sign the papers hmm. for her to do this. I mean, she was a, a young black woman in North Carolina and There's World like, War II oh, was no. going on. Like, and she's like, this no. is, no, they're not, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> You're going to stay here and, and, and kill these chickens and right. make dinner. Um, <laughs> Did she grow up on a farm? She didn't grow up on a farm, but in those days, everybody had like chickens Livestock in their yard. Yeah, okay. it was just like there wasn't any giant eagle. Like you just... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for black people. It's like, mm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So your mother wasn't allowed to join. She wax. wasn't allowed to join the wax. And then when I was growing up, she used to say to me, do every single thing you want to do before you get married and have kids. Do as many things as you possibly can. Don't ever let anybody stop you because once you stop, it's hard to get started again. Right. Just do it all. If anybody asks you to do anything that's not dangerous and doesn't right. involve you taking your clothes off, go ahead and do it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Were you more of a, I don't know why I get this vibe, were you more of a tomboy growing up? No, I was a complete girl. I were was you? like a real, like, I, when I say complete girl, I did not have anything frilly. I didn't, mm. I wasn't like a, oh, I'm going to play with dolls. I never experimented with makeup. I wasn't that kind of girl. Mm. I was kind of like the bookworm girl. Okay. I, I remember like sitting on my porch when I was like 12 years old, reading Wuthering Heights, mm. like where everybody else was playing kickball. Yeah. Like I remember I wanted, I, I saw Frankenstein so many times I had to go to the library and get the real Mary Shelley version of it. <laughs> like I was just, I had no interest in sports, no athletic ability whatsoever. I had to run 242 laps before I could graduate from high school because that's how much I dodged gym class. <laughs> I hated, <laughs> it's true. I wish I could have dodged Jim class. <laughs> and it's just like those girls were bigger than me. Their hands were like catcher's mitts. They would throw that dodgeball across. The it's just like, I can't do this. It's like, why are we doing this sadistic exactly. sport? This why is, is this a big sport? thing? You know, I remember like, I weighed like 93 pounds. Like, I didn't have a chance. No, so it's you like, absolutely didn't. Mm -mm, you were uh -uh. target. It's like, let me stretch my brain. <laughs> no, that won't I, be my defense mechanism. Yeah, I never uh, went forth on the I was never athletic like yeah. I think I thought about it a couple times it was like oh maybe I should nah <laughs> like, did you like sports did you not really like the only thing I really got into was um skateboarding and that wasn't until college and um that was still only to like a certain extent because it's like you know I'm not trying to cut my face so <laughs> I, was... <laughs> I like my teeth exactly <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I was not, and, and because I was so tall, like I've been this tall for like most of my, you know, since twelve or thirteen or something, and um, so everyone always assume, oh, you play basketball, oh, you play volleyball. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not dodging anything. Yeah. I'm not diving for any balls. I'm not. <laughs> I won't do it. But much like you, like I would spend a lot of my summers, like my mom's sister and I, we would um, go down to the library with like a red. Uh, flyer wagon, the radio flyer wagon, drag it empty, fill it up with books and bring it home. And I would just sit and devour books like 
in my just all the whole summer long and it was just it was great like I absolutely loved it just getting lost in the stories totally relate and then you know movies came along like when we started getting cable and stuff it was just like (sighs) (laughs) what is this wonderful box (laughs) (laughs) like like the first time we had it it, like one of the first times they were caught whatever it was it was like a summer when maybe romancing the stone it was like you know when Showtime would play like four movies basically yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, It'd be yeah. like the same four, like Romance in Stone, Red Sonia, maybe Red Dawn, and probably like Cloak and Dagger or something oh. like that. And it was like, I've, I've seen those movies so many times just because they were on constant rotation. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember before it was HBO, this is how old I am, it was called Hollywood Home Theater. And they came and they put this box on top of your television. And I remember Rollerball. I saw an inordinate, the James Conn rollerball, mm. like saw nine million times. I think Kramer versus Kramer might have been one of them. But they were just like you said, there were four movies and they were in endless rotation. Right. And for some reason, we would watch them over and over right. again. It's like, you know exactly what's going to happen. But it was, it it's, came into your house. Right. I am watching a movie in yeah. my home. Yeah. This is amazing. People are swearing. <laughs> that woman is naked. Like you could watch TV. Do you have an absolute favorite movie? Um, my absolute favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz. Really? Yeah. It always has been. Any Is it just any particular reason? It's so vivid. The colors are just so, they just jump right out at you. I remember being <clears throat> really frightened of it. I remember yeah. crying when the flying monkeys would come out. I remember like being heartbroken about the scarecrow and like what if he, he never had a heart, but he always had a heart. He was her bestest friend. I just... When the house would spin up and it got caught in the twister when mm. she sang somewhere, there was not one thing about that movie that, you just that didn't I love. just did not love. And it didn't. It used to come on on holidays. Yeah. And like we'd all like sit in front of the TV set and like watch Thanksgiving. It yeah. Used to come on. Yeah. Or maybe Christmas, but yeah, I recall that happening. Yeah. It being like an event all the time. Yeah. So when did you move up to a, pro- a producer for Horizons? Um, it was kind of a jagged path after I'd been in the public relations department as an administrative assistant for a few years. I just wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like produce stuff. I wanted to see what that whole production world was like. And it was really hard to change streams. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Skip, um, he and his boss were leaving their agency, advertising agency downtown, and they were going to start their own shop. Mm-hmm. And he called me up one day, and he's like, you hate your job. Come and work for me, and I'll teach you how to make, like, radio commercials and TV commercials. Ah. And it was called Entendre NFM. Mm-hmm. And um, I went there, and it was, like, basically I started being an office clerk, but then I was writing copy eventually for TCI Cable and value king grocery stores and their like logo their whole guy was like this animated like i'm the king the value king and he was like this kind of elvis guy um and it would be like this week only pork chops a dollar 99 a pound (laughs) and it'd be like you know i'd have to come up with a clever line like yeah you know let me be your teddy bear come on down to value king like so there was that and there was kogos and they were like there were some really neat, weird old guys who ran, like, audio houses around town. And I remember going in one time to do a radio session. It was for Kogos. And the guy who was running the audio house, like, I came in. And I was, like, maybe all of 26 years old. Mm-hmm. And I think he was, like, looking around, like, when's the producer going to show up? When's the producer going to show up? And I'm like, it's me. I'm doing the session today. And he's like, 
does Skip know you're here? And I'm like, yes, he does. It's all me. And then it was just like, so whereas it could have been like a really ugly experience, and I'm sure that there were a couple of times when there were things flying above my head that I wasn't privy to and hadn't heard because in this like all, mostly at that time, especially, and still a lot in Pittsburgh, it was like an all white male dominated industry advertising Mm -hmm. was. I mean, the only women were either art directors, Mm -hmm. like maybe every once in a blue moon, you'd see a woman copywriter, but they were either in buying media or sales or they were art directors because, you know, we're good at that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but they were always really, really helpful. I mean, these Hmm. guys were like, I think, I think I must've been like a novelty Uh, to a lot of, of them. And, um, but for the most part, everybody was very nice and very supportive, and I did that for several years. I went from that to freelancing to a couple of other agency things, um, creative video. They did documentaries and videos for people. They were up on North Craig Street. just. And then one day, again, another fateful phone call, um, the woman who was the head of local programming mm-hmm. at WQED said that they were doing a collaboration with Fox. Mm-hmm. It was a kid's show called The Fox Cub House, and did I want to come back and work on The Fox Cub House? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, Rosie, why are people so mean? And these little puppets would be like, sometimes people don't feel well, and we have to find out why our friends don't feel good. Maybe they're not mean. Maybe they're just unhappy. Like, <laughs> That kind of thing. Um, so it was really a gentle approach. Um, and, and that opened up all kinds of things. That we One of the um, shows, it was like one of those shows that uh, it was like an hour-long program, but it had three different smaller shows within it. Mm-hmm. And one of those programs was called Johnson and Friends. Okay. It was a Canadian show about a little boy who, when he'd go to sleep, all the toys in his room would come to life at night. And there was Victoria the Dinosaur. And the producer decided that he wanted me to be the voice of Victoria the Dinosaur. Seriously? And I'd have to be like, in my little old lady voice, you come down from there. You kids are going to hurt yourselves. Like, that would be like, and I flew up to Toronto a couple times to do (laughs) sessions where I'd have to, like, you know, do the... That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. How yeah. long did you do that? Um, well, unfortunately, the show only lasted like a couple seasons, and that was that was the end of my voiceover career as Victoria the Dinosaur. <laughs> like the beginning and the end. And cut. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find it difficult being a female in television and film? or Not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I have to say that I'm probably in a pretty protected environment at WQED. I mean, our CEO and president is a woman. Right. Um, the vice president of content and all production at the station is a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got four other female producers that I work with. Um, we've got five freelance female producers who come in. It's a place where they're, this is the way things are now. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the early 80s, it was strictly, you know, it was men Boys and there were maybe two or three women, female producers. Um one of them, another person who was always been really supportive of me and pushed me a lot is a woman named Shirley Saldamarco. She now teaches um, media arts at Carnegie Mellon's ETC. Oh, nice. And I love Shirley because she was just, there she was surrounded by men, and at that time we had a really strong engineering union. There had to be 34 male engineers there, and there was one female engineer. But Shirley could just like, with smiles and a very firm voice could kind of command the situation and get stuff done. Um, (laughs) And she was just, she was like it. It was just like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And she's like, of course you can do this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Awesome. That's just another example. One more great role model you happen to yeah. have along the way and just somebody willing yeah. to help you out and able to yeah. kind of show you the ropes. Yeah. So it's been, again, it's, I know that there are situations, again, that I'm probably not privy to because I will give these people this much credit. Maybe it's credit. I don't know. I've always felt that if someone there that you worked with, um, especially in the past, didn't like the fact that you were a female or that you were doing something, they would at least wait for you to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but in the last, I'm going to say, like, I started, I started producing Horizons in 1994. Oh. Um, and it was the longest running minority affairs program on television in the country during its 41 years um, wow. on the air. And it, there was nothing, there used to be a million shows like it. There was Black Impact, there was Black Vibrations, there was, everybody had their one. There was one in Boston, and we beat them on the air by two weeks in 1968 oh called Say, Brother. Um, <laughs> and, and that was basically it. And I cannot tell you, I cannot give enough credit for who I am and the person that I became professionally for Chris Moore. Chris mm -hmm. Moore was the host of Black Horizons, but he was also an incredible force in Pittsburgh's African-American community. Right. Like he would, there would be nobody that Chris would turn down. He would help people do things. He would speak at a different engagements. He'd come wow. to your church and he'd give speeches. He'd be out on Black History Month and every other month. He was a huge advocate for veterans too because he's also a Vietnam vet. Wow. He had Black Horizons on QED. He still has a radio show on KDKAAM and he has... Um, Fred Hansberger's old show on PCNC. He's the hardest oh, okay. working man in show business, but he's always been very true to what it means to be a black man who stands up for his community. Right. And with all the kindness that can come with that, he's always been this great, I've never been able to figure out how he can be so patient and so kind mm -hmm. and so giving of himself at the same time. Like sometimes I say, just say no, Chris. <laughs> you can just say no. You don't have to. He's like, no, I told them I'd do it and, and he'll do it. I wow. mean, it's just like the most obscure little gathering they're having their annual come on out and be fellowship day. And would you please be our MC? And he'll be like, I'll be there at 6 a.m. Wow. And that he's done that for by. years, for absolutely for years. So, you know, everything I really, truly know about putting a show together and booking guests mm -hmm. and finding an interesting conversation and somebody who doesn't have a lot to say mm -hmm. or is maybe too shy to actually say it out loud, somebody who thinks they want to be on television, but once they get there, they, like, freeze mm -hmm. solid mm -hmm. of not relying on pre-prepared questions, but allowing the conversation that you have with somebody take you to where you want to go and mm. get what they want to say. All those sorts of things I learned from Chris. Years and years of working with him and watching him and just figuring out how TV worked. It's just, he's been like... He's been your, your professor. He is. He like was him. my professor. Yeah. He was like, you know, he gave me my cap and my gown. And he's just <laughs> like, he he's he's the shit. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris, for um, helping Manette so much and giving us, <laughs> giving her to us because she is an asset and she is helping to carry on this torch. Thank this, you very much. This uh, this legacy of, you know, just kind of giving back to like the film community in general here in Pittsburgh, as well as you know a lot of the any you know helping to find any young black filmmakers young black female filmmakers yeah. that's that's why i was so excited when i saw in jamie i was just like wow where'd you come from right <laughs> exactly you know, i literally was just like holy cow like i had i had to 
I had to reach out and talk to her because I just I wanted to know what she was doing. Right. And she's doing amazing. Like, I absolutely am. I'm super excited to see where she where she goes off to, like where she blossoms into, like what more can we expect from this little girl to this young woman to accomplish? And yeah, it's, you know, I've only, I barely know her, but it's this feeling of presence, a sense of pride that I have. Yeah. Yeah. What she's doing. And it's just kind of like, it's like, you're so removed. I'm so removed from her. I know her, you know, through you mm. and through Ime. I, I mean, I know of her work, but right. I didn't even meet her to the night of the movie. Oh, night. really? Yeah. But I just felt like. <sighs> and there's another woman. Um, her name is Nikki Young. And she was one of the first. She was actually the first African-American filmmaker I had female filmmaker I had on Filmmaker's Corner. Really? And she made this really sweet movie called The Whistle Lesson. And it's about this little girl who goes to stay with her grandparents and her grandfather meets her outside and he teaches her how to whistle. And she's kind of lonely because her older sister's like a teenager and doesn't really have anything to do with her anymore. And you find out at the end of the movie that her grandfather's actually died. But she sits there and she has these great conversations with her granddad. And it's like this really sweet, touching, well-made, beautifully shot film. And it's only like about an hour long mm. and like when I first met her I was just like yes yes you can be on Filmmaker's Corner yes you can I mean like, most definitely please yeah <laughs> and do you have any cousins who have any work <laughs> we need more of you please yeah um, <laughs> but I, I, I feel really fortunate to have that show and to be able to talk to people and work with people who do who make films it's just to me it's a huge amount of work mm-hmm. Um. I don't know how you do it when you don't get paid for it. Mm. You know, it's hard. Are it you, is. It's hard. Are you talking about me specifically? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> like, was that a real question? <laughs> how do you do it? Like, how do you make yourself like just like be so committed to your vision that even though you know it's going to take like up every weekend and mm. at least three nights a week for like the next several months, like. And that the reward will be the work itself. Like, that's that's a difficult thing. I think, and this kind of brings me to where I, I wanted to go with you. It's just, it's, I have, um, I want to be able to leave something behind. And, you know, and if it comes to that, you know, I, if it's to the point where it, it's like, you know, I'm not destined to have children, like we end up not having children. Mm-hmm. I would like there to be something, you know, to tell my story. Just leave something behind, and I also feel like it's always just kind of been a part of me for so long, just producing and creating in Mm -hmm. general. Since, like, since I was wee, like I would, like, mom would always have art supplies around the house. She would always have like musical instruments around the house, and you know, she would allow me to take photos with her camera. Like, since I was like three years old, so there was always something going on in in our house. And my sister and I would like run around and like recreate Annie and like you know, like just singing around the house and stuff. And you know, I've been in like um, singing and dancing groups and like acting troops and things like that. And we, as a family, we produced talent contests and for years. And so it's just always been a part of my life. And it's to the point now where I feel like if I'm not doing something, like as much as I love downtime and like doing nothing, I feel guilty. Like if I'm just sitting at home like for a day and I've done nothing productive, not to say that I'm not going to, I'm going to (laughs) stop, but (laughs) I do start to feel a little some kind of way. Like I haven't done anything. So yeah, so that's where it is. And I wanted to like ask you, like what is the legacy that you would like to leave behind I I know this sounds really 
old fashioned, but I just, I want people to feel like I did good work. Mm. Like I didn't skimp, um, that I didn't take shortcuts and I did good work. Um, and I don't know if that's just through the things that I've created that are on broadcast or just the way that I relate to my friends and my family, but I don't want, I try really, really hard to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably like the best thing you can do is like to offer yourself up to someone. Right. Um, I don't do nearly the amount that I should, you know, giving back is such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do get selfish. I do like the, like, you know what I did X amount of things this week and now I'm not going to answer the phone and I'm not going to help anybody do anything. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to see how many law and order episodes I can watch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to beat my personal best. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's something that I do. Um, I do sometimes feel like I don't do enough, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like out in the community or helping people. But I try to think that I do it on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Like I don't let my friends down. I don't right. let my family down if I possibly can. I try to do if somebody needs help at work, I will help them. Right. If somebody's working on a project and they want my help, I will help them. Um, I have a hard time with official things. Mm. Like I think a few times people have asked me to be on boards and I've always been like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I was on the editorial board once for the pit news and that was really easy because you sat down and you met with the other people on the editorial board and you talked about stories and you talked about journalism with the students and mm-hmm. where the issues were going to go. And, and that was kind of like in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but those kinds of boards where you sit down and you make decisions about fundraisers and what your mission statement is going to be yeah. and how do you deal with this year's gala. Um, it's a little dry. I, I just. It's not, it's not my. Yeah. House, and, and I don't know if it's just that I find it a little bit dry because I'm sure that's part of it. I just think it's at a level of adulthood that maybe I can't. <laughs> I can't like buckle myself in for. It's like there's only so much adulting I can do <laughs> in a week. Um, I'm just keeping it together, guys, on my own. Yeah. I'm barely keeping it together. You have no idea how hard it was the shower this morning. <laughs> but I, I mean, I have been, um, 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 you know, honored by a few people who've asked me to do things. I remember a couple years ago, I was tapped to be one of the judges on the Carol Brown, like emerging artist and mm. established artist, like that voting for that. And the Sprout Fund was giving out right. small grants for filmmakers locally. And I was Oy. a judge for you for the 48 hour yes. film project. And so those kinds of things are like, they feel good to me Mm. um i feel like i'm i'm helping make a decision from a point of view that might not otherwise be considered right so there's that okay that's completely understandable like you are totally allowed to say no (laughs) whenever you want i know i have guilt (laughs) you need to say no i have guilt you need to (laughs) what haven't you done yet that you would like to do oh that's a good one um i have a friend Disha Filia, mm-hmm. and Disha is a really, really good writer, and she's written a book on co-parenting, and mm-hmm. she's one of those people who, 
is so in touch with her creative source mm -hmm. and she writes constantly and she has a blog and she has an online presence and she helps with all kinds of co-parenting issues from, you know, if you've got two different adults and they've got children from previous relationships and they make a blended family mm -hmm. like dealing with those kinds of issues dealing with issues of like black motherhood and civil rights and all those sorts of things and she's like this constant source of information and there's a a new literary magazine that's being kicked off and it's actually i can't remember the name right now but it's the address of aunt esther's house on bedford avenue the fictional address from the august wilson place 1839 1839 i'm in talks with them <laughs> like yes i know i just like they um i asked i went to the meeting about you know people yeah. getting involved and i'm um, contributing yeah yay <laughs> yay i'm glad so i sent like my query into Disha. Yeah. And so, yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a trip. <laughs> so that's something that we've talked about and it's something that I'd like to eventually do, but I would love to have time to sit down and just write stories. I don't have any like great burning tale to tell, uh -huh. but I've had 9 million weird experiences and I know so many stories from my family and from people that I've been around stories that are just too strange, like in a John Waters kind of oh, way. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, like, I don't know. There's just, there's like this wealth of stories that I want to tell. Um, oh, what's, I want to be probably, I would say I would like to be the black female David Sedaris. Nice. I would read that. Yeah. I would devour that book. <laughs> <laughs> and to someday have the time to actually do that. But then again, there, there we go right back to the same thing again. Do you sit around and wait to find the time or do you just do it? Do yeah. you just commit yourself to your vision and say like, you know what, I've already seen this one where Benson rex, rex, you know, rescues right. Olivia. I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to like commit this story. Yeah, it becomes like yeah. a definite push. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so admirable that you do this podcast thing. Oh, You've great. got this studio set up in your house and you invite people in and you like get <laughs> insights on their lives and stuff. And it's just like the wiring alone would make me have to sit down and have a big glass of whiskey. It's like, what? I don't know. I'm tired. Where is like, ugh. God, where's the... my surge protector? I don't know. It's... Well, I guess I just can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, looking for that feeble excuse. It's like, well, it's just uh, forget it. <laughs> the dog took my paper. I can't go on like this. I can't work under these conditions. Storm off. So no, I think I, I love that that Disha does what she does, and that mm -hmm. you do what you do. That you take this passionate feelings that you have towards like creating and making, and like actually put it into like some real actual thing that people can listen to and touch mm. and be in touch with and have an exchange of ideas with that's well, thank you. That, that to me is, is real real good <laughs> well yeah. well you're doing it to, you're doing it as well yeah i mean you're out there you're like and you're also you know you're helping to get insights on filmmakers unknown who otherwise may not get that sort of recognition yeah and um i've always since like for years, I've kind of looked up to you, Manette. Oh, like, thanks, I mean, really? I've, I've been here in Pittsburgh. It's oh, just, I that's mean, really yeah. sweet. <laughs> just you know, so it's a little little fan gush over a little fan girling <laughs> real quick. So it's no big deal. Um. <laughs> no, that that makes me feel really good because I I just I look around and I think like sometimes I'm like, oh my god, there's so many more women doing this now. Yeah. Like, 
And it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's great. And it's startling. And it's just, it's so good. Mm -hmm. It just, there was a time when I would go someplace and there would be me and three other people mm -hmm. who did what I did. And they would just be like, hi. I'm like, hi, we're here again. And now it's just like. Meeting new ones, like popping up. Yeah. Like ever so often. And it's amazing. There's sometimes there's nothing more satisfying than becoming old hat. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, you guys do this now. Right. Do it. You know, do it exactly. better. Do it with tools that I don't even have the slightest idea nor the inclination to learn how to use. Like, Sometimes it's just too late to learn anything else. Like, yeah, I'm going to pull out the old lady clothes on that one. Like, But no, there's all this stuff I want to learn. Like, I just, that's one of the things that I also, and I say this, knowing that at any moment, you know, the world can turn on the head of a pin. One of the things about having a really demanding full-time job is that there's so much stuff out there that you want to learn mm -hmm. um, that just is just overwhelming. We, I'm a, a member of the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, uh -huh. and we had a meeting recently. It was like the first one I'd been to like for months and months and months, and they did this whole little session on all this stuff that you can get for your phone, which you probably know all about. Like, there's a macro lens, oh, and yeah. there's a wide-angle lens, and a fish islands and yes. you just stick it on your phone right but like you can film like army men and make them look like real like live like a battle situation like right. you can like get a little microphone for a hundred bucks that allows you to record like wave files yeah. on your phone yeah i was like where do i buy it how does it work <laughs> like they're like minute the meeting's gonna be over soon i'm like but 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 it's just oh, do I have it in here? oh do you have one well i have not the lens i have like a little phone i have like an irig um, phone or a uh, microphone and it just pops right in there to the top and there's like a little app that goes along with it called the iRig and um, you can like edit on your phone too and record it and it's it's great like it's, it's, it's so really great and I have to get over the idea this is this is my other my, my crippling disease of technology mm. I'm still that person that thinks that if you push the wrong button things will go away and never come back sometimes I think that too <laughs> it's like we were talking about the cloud before yes it's like are you sure it's okay to put this app on my phone? No, I've been there. Are they going to know my like... social security number? It's... Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of that kind of, that side of paranoia, like, this is kind of <laughs> off topic, like, just, just random. But, um, you know, the ancestry, like, the DNA testing to um, figure out, like, your heritage or where... Um, I've been thinking about, like, seriously thinking about doing that just because I really don't have, you know, that much of an idea as most African-Americans yeah. have, don't have. But I've just, like, got this paranoia inside me that I'm going to be framed for some sort of crime <laughs> because the government's going to have my DNA on file. <laughs> and it could just be so much law and order. In my See, <laughs> these are when you wish for those old days of we all looked alike because then you could just say that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's holding me back for that no <laughs> do it you have to do it um because i've always been curious myself and and my sister-in-law got my brother that for a christmas present a couple years ago she like sent in the dna sample and had this ancestry thing and found out that our descendants were from west africa and then somehow we got mixed up with scotch irish oh, wow. which is where our name came from and huh. so it was really interesting to find out where 
we came from right through this birthday present and it's it is i have to tell you it is just general enough and broad enough that they couldn't really pin you down to oh, anything okay, great. yeah because <laughs> it's kind of like west africa which is a huge that's a chunk of real estate west right. africa yes so it's like it could be anywhere we don't know hey let me ask you something mm-hmm. this is getting off topic okay you're going to think this is a really weird question. I've been reading a lot Love about it. like <laughs> <laughs> Love it already. <laughs> how the banjo originated as an African instrument mm-hmm. and how rice growing in this country was began by African Americans, African slaves who were brought here and cultivated rice because in like a lot of the okra and the vegetables and things we use how hard must it have been for those poor people trapped on the ships to smuggle seeds? To actually, like, think I'm going to need this where I'm going? Yeah. How did they even do that? Like, the ingenuity of that, the will to... When I think about, like, the last thing that I would probably want to do if I survived a journey like that... Right. ...would be to, like, think about, well, you know, I'm going to, like, try to tap into my culture and make a drum or a stringed instrument and and just... That is really interesting. I've never thought about that because, like... That's not something that would be in my... No. That's not what I would be thinking if I were to be snatched away from... I mean, the fortitude of our ancestors is is beyond imagining sometimes. Because mm. I was just... I don't know. I was reading or something about rice growing in South Carolina and the cultivation of Carolina rice. And I mm. thought, like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's That's a really great... I'm going to have to start looking up some stuff on that just to see. I mean, yeah. Where does that even come from? Like, where, like, you know what? This is like some shit's going down. Yeah. We better snatch up like these little bits of like. Exactly. I don't, I I will never see my family in my home again, but I'm going to, I'm going to take this little bit of home with me. Right. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. That was just, (laughs) it's just something that's been in my head lately. I'm like, how and I mean, I guess it, it extends to. Well, I guess you know uh, the time. Yeah. Of what it is, um, uh, you know, 2015. It's really hard to. Dif- it's really difficult to say that that's what you would think about. Is like trying to <clears throat> hold on to a bit of your culture or what your land or what you mm-hmm. know of. As like 2015, you think if you're getting abducted, you're trying to hold on to a phone or some right. sort of weapon. Right. So back then, it's like that's all there really was. Because at that point, there's like there's no way you, you know. You're being snatched off somewhere. There's no way you're going to ever see your family, more than likely. Yeah. Like, there, and there's no communication whatsoever. There's, like, There's you know, nothing. There's absolutely nothing, so. Like, you literally hope that you can live. Right. To get through this. So you don't know what is to come, and so you're, like, I better take some sort of crop. Yeah, and I guess on the other hand, it. it might be it might be the most natural, instinctual thing of all to have one thing to hold on to. To keep your sanity. Right just to hold that thing close to you and right. know that you can take it with you wherever you're going and it'll remind you of where you came from. Right. Yeah. It just, wow. I'm just amazed at what human beings are capable of sometimes. Absolutely. Wow. All right. So. All right, Debbie Downer. But, uh, uh, well, what is your form of self-care? Like, well, how do you take care of Manette? I have been, for many, 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 many years, I was a power walker. Really? Like, like yeah. Like, like a mall walker? Like, <laughs> I was outdoors. I was on the streets. I was, I was, I was pounding the pavement. No, I walked. I mean, seriously, hardcore. I used to do like hardcore, like five miles a day, four days a week. Did like, you have the leg weights? 
no, that was just too weird. <laughs> it was. I mean, I had them, but then I'd go outside and I'm like, I have big black terry cloth things around my ankles. I think I'm going to take these off. Um, look like I've escaped from something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, right. It's going to be beep, 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 beep. Um, I did that. And then, um, again, like my work hours just got longer and longer and harder. And I needed to change up like when my exercise routine was. Mm. So for the past couple of years, um, Ken, my boyfriend and I have been doing that, that, Sean T. Insanity thing and the T25 thing. I don't understand why anybody would do anything on purpose to have the title Insanity. <laughs> I haven't even got the gumption enough to like look it up to see exactly what it is. Or what it's it is. this ridiculous thing where you like go in a room and you literally jump up and down until you think your heart's going to explode. <laughs> you, you do like nine million like burpees and jumping Sounds jacks awesome. and all kinds of stuff and like don't I'm not going to try to fool you for a minute. I do the modified version mm. half the days of the week. It's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I can't do 42 push-ups. Here's my 12. Right. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, whoa, look at me go. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I really like, it's funny for somebody who hates sports. Mm. I mean, I, I've never been to a professional football game. Really? In my life. Um, and I'm sure you've probably come across like, tickets all the time oh my god my older brother is such a rabbit he's a face painter he has every jersey you can possibly imagine <laughs> he eats drinks and bleeds black and gold like he wow. actually will call my house and say are you watching the game no why not Same did something reason. happen while you were <laughs> like he wants to get deep into the psychology of why i don't like the steel and it's not that i don't like the steelers i just like it's three hours it's of just people. football they run up and down they go back and forth they throw and it's like okay yeah that's that's it yeah I'm okay. that's where my girly comes out it's just like i don't get it and yeah. i know lots of there are a lot of strong steeler nation women yeah but i'm just i can't i will definitely volunteer to make dips casserole <laughs> i will bring you the best five layer dip you've ever had in your life i will sit in the kitchen and eat it right i am <laughs> i will come to your house and enjoy your hospitality and 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 vicariously love that you're loving this game but i just can't if i it's sunday afternoon there's always something that needs to be cleaned mm-hmm. you know what yeah i'm pretty sure while you're watching that game there's some ironing that you didn't do exactly so yeah i'll just, do that i can totally get i i appreciate everybody's enthusiasm uh-huh. about it like how people get behind i just don't have that in me like no. it's never been that way mm-hmm. like i may have gone to one football game in high school and i'm pretty sure it's probably the only i know i've never been to a professional one so yeah. it's just like you know it's, i've just never seen it for that and like, the people at work like in my department they all love baseball yeah so they are all about pirates and there was one time this is like the team building exercise like kind of thing like oh we're all gonna go to the pirates game and i I went to one and i was i left like before it was i was like we're like right in the sun and i'm like i just you know (laughs) (laughs) and like this this past season you know i get a text message like you know we're all going to pirates if we you know free tickets do you want i'm like no, no thanks. I'm good. Thanks anyway. You know. <laughs> now, if I do have a sport, I would have to say it's it's baseball, and it, it's mm-hmm. it's specifically Pirates baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not one of those people who can quote stats. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why anyone bunts. Like, what is the purpose of the bunt? Um, I haven't figured that out, and I know there's some strategic reason for it. Uh-huh. Like, I just... 
I've got these memories of when I was younger, like being at home and Bob Prince used to be the announcer for the Pirates and my father would always be watching pirate games and I remember Mm. being outside playing and hearing the baseball game through the screen door and I've always really connected to that memory and so I have this nostalgic fondness for the Pirates and the more they win the more everybody loves them. And I'm like, ah, we used to go and nobody used to go to the game. And truthfully, I just... Giving went, away tickets. They, and they were giving away... I always loved to go and eat. Nah. Like, you know, kettle corn, hot dogs, wings. I don't get nachos because they're too messy. Um, but I, I, my love for baseball is inextricably linked to my love for ballpark food. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, if I'm... they stopped serving, I'd stop going. Like, that... <laughs> I was like, mm. that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I love you, buckos. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back with your top five. Okay. You are listening to the Rugged Angel Podcast, where our goal is to highlight women with a story to tell who live out loud or are challenging themselves on the regular. The Rugged Angel Podcast is part of the Rugged Angel Productions Network. Please check out our pop culture podcast, Down to Watch, and our podcast dedicated to the Shonda Rhimes hit TV show, Scandal, the Scandalized Podcast. All can be found at RuggedAngel.com or under Rugged Angel Productions on SoundCloud and iTunes. Now let's finish this show. (laughs) All right, Manette. Yes, ma'am. We've got a top five here for you. Okay. And the things you would do if you were immortal. Now, you were concerned about some some specifics on this. I was. Uh, what kind of physical shape am I going to be in? I guess we can just think about it as like a vampire. So you never, <laughs> you don't get older. Okay. And But you don't have to drink blood. And you're, you're cool going in the daylight. Like, none of the vampire, like, downfalls. Okay. So you're, like, straight up immortal. Can I, like, basically freeze at this age? Yeah, sure. Okay. Right now, today, someone like, says, boom. Boom. You are immortal. Okay. Um, Five things you would do. The first thing I would do is get a really, really, really good retirement plan. <laughs> It's like practical. It's just, <laughs> I'm gonna have to make it last a really long time. Sounds like this um, is true. And I would start collecting Social Security way earlier than I currently plan to, because you know, how long are they gonna have to pay me until it's all gone? Like I will get the last quarter out of the Social Security Administration. Yes, absolutely. So um, that's it. Um, <laughs> um, the second thing would be I would become an excellent driver. And get a really powerful car, you know, like a 19, I'm thinking like a 1989 or 90, early 90s Lincoln Continental. Ooh. Like a big old, like, war horse. Like the, yeah. The <laughs> biggest ones they still made, like, at the end, that was still running and not rusted out. And then I just, like, drive across the country and challenge anybody who didn't use turn signals. <laughs> like... <laughs> and just, like, I just sit there across the roof and, like... Vroom. I like where this is going. <laughs> um, I think I told you I didn't even get my driver's license till I was forty. No, I did not get my driver's license. This is and how... this is living here in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, 
You didn't like live in New York for 20 years. Nope. <laughs> I was just like, I had Port Authority schedules in every purse I owned. I walk a lot. I had friends with cars. I just saw no need for it. Wow. And I came from a really, you know, my older brother was obsessed with cars from the moment that he could like sneak outside and start my mother's Nova and then sneak back <laughs> in the house. My younger brother is insane about motorcycles, but I was just like, yeah, okay. And so I... When I turned 40, I was like, well, I guess I can't be 40 and not have a driver's license. So I bought a car, and I I have the same car that I bought when I turned 40. It's a Toyota Echo. I just made 44,000 miles, I'm proud to say. Wow. I, I don't – people in driving, they just – I don't get it. They just – they're just not nice. No. Camila, they're not nice. Absolutely and, and just, not. You know, you just see people do things that just – they're in their protective bubble. They mm. think they can do whatever they want. Immortality will take care of all of that. So. <laughs> I dig it. Um, yeah, people are jerks on the road. Yeah, I, just, I don't understand it. I really, really don't. You know, I have stopped to let people walk in crosswalks mm-hmm. and had people like blow their horns like crazy. Right. It's like, it's like everybody's extremely impatient. Mm-hmm. It's like we're all on your schedule. Right. And it's just, it's just too much. It's the impatience that really just drives me crazy. And then yeah. when they want to, I don't know, when you're going, when I'm going the speed limit on the expressway. Right. And then there's somebody like riding my ass. Yeah. I, that really bugs me. It's like, I am going the limit. And that is how how fast I'm going to go. Yeah. Like, you can hate me all you want. Yes. Yeah. But I am going 65. And it's one of the reasons why I hate driving on the parkway it's like why are you that close to me like just for spite i want to stop and just kill us both right exactly it's like i will slam on the brakes right now and end it all for everyone i will go through that windshield but i'll have taught you a valuable lesson it's (laughs) and as i'm going through (laughs) (laughs) splat (laughs) um yeah, I don't know. So I have this car kind of thing. I love I love cars. Uh, I love the way they look. I love the way they're built. I love I love the machinery of a car, but I just the whole idea of being able to master one would be great. Okay. Yeah. So and if being immortal, I can have a million wrecks. Exactly. You know. It's like, well, that didn't work out. Nope. So, <laughs> so and then they'll raise my insurance, which is where that extra or your social security exactly (laughs) um um, i would donate blood lots and lots of blood and probably bone marrow i've got an endless supply yeah yeah i mean i can do that now too but like what if i donated blood and the person i gave blood to became immortal see i could let's go through Mm. hospitals and like look at the list very carefully like hmm who is worthy? Who will I bequeath my immortal blood to? <laughs> Who's worthy of my blood? <laughs> um, I would perfect the trinity in my mind of Southern cooking. Um, a flaky pie crust from scratch. Uh-huh. Perfect fried chicken that's golden on the outside, juicy on the inside, and there's none of that pink stuff near the bone. And I want to make really fat, fluffy, buttery buttermilk biscuits. I feel like that is going to take like an immortal lifetime to, exactly. to, to perfect. It, it's it's <laughs> just like, you know how you have to, like, when you make like pie crust, you have to get that perfect feel, the mm-hmm. pillage of the, the shortening and the mixture of flour? Yeah. I, I can't. I I just don't. Mm-mm. It's all a mystery to me. Yeah. It's all very... Oh, it, I try it all the time. 
I've I've tried the biscuits and I've come close. Yeah. Um, Dan, my husband, is like on the quest to make the perfect fried chicken. Like yeah. he is like for I think was it last summer? It was like like addicted. Like seriously, like he was like obsessed with it. It was like every week it was like I gotta and he's like buying books and like looking up recipes and like yeah. trying to figure it all out and he came really close. And I forget what it was, what his combination was, but um, yeah, he's still on that quest. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's really, and I remember she doesn't do it anymore because, you know, she's older and she has cholesterol and stuff. But I just remember my mother just taking chicken and putting it in flour and putting salt and pepper and like. It all looks so easy. Season salt on it. And the next thing you know, it was like the most incredible thing you ever ate. Like why, why can't. It looks so simple. Uh-uh. It does. And then when I do it, it's like, it's either got a scorch mark on the bottom or it's just like some damn thing. Like, like the gummy, um, I've oh. always said like the, the gummy breading. It's just not. Yeah, it's not right. No. It's, it's... Uh, I, I feel sometimes that we've journeyed too far from ourselves that we, <laughs> we can't do these things that it's too easy to go buy it. Yes, exactly. When you That's can get that problem. eight piece for six ninety nine at Giant right. Eagle. That, yeah. Oh, and it's almost perfect. Yeah. Why That's do like, I got to do it? Exactly. That's like Dan is like, you know, the Wilkinsburg Giant Eagle is the best fried chicken. <laughs> The last thing is like, I want to figure out if I were immortal, why so much of every culture's art, literature, religion is devoted to the search for immortality. Huh. Like if you lived forever, how good could it possibly be? Hmm. Like people have always like the basis of, of any kind of mythology is like, you know, the immortals ruled the world mm -hmm. or like the basis of religion is once you die, you are taken to heaven or wherever your right. specific belief system says you're going and you're going to be cleansed and then you're going to be this being that can never die again you're never going to feel pain you're going to be essentially your mortal shreds are going to fall away and you're going to be this immortal ethereal being like right. why is immortality such a reward for everybody when everyone you know will be dead right the world will have changed so many times. You won't know your ass from a hole in the ground. Exactly. It's just going to be, everything's going to be so constant. You'll get to see every form of goodness, but at the same time, every despicable behavior. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes immortality is overrated. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it because there's just being, having seen just two full decades in my lifetime. It's, it's, difficult to like there's there's things and ways that i would like to hold on to mm -hmm. or like i do not it's like why do we have to do it this way anymore or is or like you know as simple as like the idea of a dvr is or, <laughs> or on demand like i get it i understand it yeah i know what it's about but like or like like we were saying with the cloud like i like holding an actual dvd in my hand exactly i'm not going to spend twenty dollars on a file yeah, <laughs> so exactly. There's just certain ways, there's certain things that I would like to keep, you know, that I've grown accustomed to. Yeah. And I just like it that way. And so I couldn't imagine, like, seeing so many just decades just turn over and over. And then, sure, it's like, you know, everything, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. As my mother likes to say. And uh, you would see after, what, every, like, 50 years or so, everything yeah, would, like, Yeah, like, oh, that again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we went to uh, Macy's. On Saturday, we spent like five hours in there. Mm. There's only four floors left. And like, it's just like, 
we went into the floor that's the walkover from the parking garage and the first thing you see is like all the ladies shoes are like severe marked down like 40 50 percent off but then you make your way around the corner and there are bins of naked headless mannequins there's a whole rolling cart with nothing but like the legs from the hosiery displays wow every and it's been picked over but like carts all the sewing machines from their tailoring department the tables from the gift wrap shop where they used to wrap your wow. presents like giant candy canes and toy boxes and crazy displays and those little collar things they drape necklaces around yeah. like all those things just stacked up and it's all for sale and just to sit there and to see like oh this is something that's disappearing from this country mm -hmm. the old-fashioned giant department store where you would go down at christmas right. time and look in the windows or if you were working in town and like oh my god i broke my heel let me go buy a right. pair of shoes real quick or oh i forgot to get a birthday present yeah or anything the idea of that department store that institution just completely disappearing yeah. um from downtown landscapes is sad to me you know and like so in a hundred years from now, will I be complaining because there's no more Qdobas downtown? Like, like <laughs> Probably, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. I guess I've never really thought of it, just because I disdain shopping malls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I mean that's one of the things that I really love is the fact that I can purchase. I am looking for a way to never have to go to the grocery store again. <laughs> and I've come, I'm coming very close. As of this time, it looks like it's, I'm only going to need to go for perishables and produce. What do you hate about the grocery store? Um, I don't like it's, it's always other people. Like I, no matter what, and I have a knack for it. Like I always get like I try to get in there and I'm usually like, I got, I know what I'm doing. I need to get there. I need to get, I, I know exactly where I'm going, but I always end up behind this person who is going on a tour, who's touring the grocery store, who's touring the vegetable section. And like, I always end up with like those people who are like standing right in front of what I need to, like there's an entire aisle with nobody there. And there's that one guy who's just standing right in front of like extremely close to the, the products that yeah. I, I need to, you know, excuse me, excuse me. And it's just, it's mostly the people just like the, there's just rude and inconsiderate and there's that. And I try to be so nice and so calm and so, you know, and I always have a real uh, good knack of no matter what line I get in, I'm going to be in there for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like it could be one person in front of me with a can of cat food. There will be some reason that person will be, it'll take 20 minutes. <laughs> we call that American Splendor. Um, that film yes. about Harvey P. Carr, that scene where no matter what line he gets in, that's where the old lady is going to be with like, can't I use this coupon this week? I won't be here next week. I'm having my varicose veins fixed. Or there's the lady who's been taking the couponing classes from reality television, oh and she's got 14 bottles of open pit barbecue sauce, and she's got a coupon for every one. Uh -huh. So it doesn't matter which one you go to, or if you're in the self-serve island, when that starts to blink. Oh, God, I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those people who truly enjoys the grocery store experience. Really? Yeah. I love, like, just like, oh, look at that. Now they've got Heath Bar ice cream. I think I'll try some. Turkey cutlets, why I never. And then I'll buy some, you know, like. I you know, like the discovery. I do. I go to the Edgewood Town Center Giant Eagle, mm -hmm. and I know Brenda in the deli section, and I know Tom in the cheese section. It's like, I just want to get out. Like, as soon as I get there, I'm just like, ah. Yeah. And there's Patty. She's also in the gourmet cheese section. She'll say, oh, honey, try this Gouda. Like, it's just like. I wave at the people who work in there, and I know some of them by name, and so... Bless your soul. No, it's just, it's a horrible, it's it's a horrible thing. It's a thing that I caught from my mother. Like, my mother's 89, uh -huh. 
she'll be 89 in November, but now like her sport is Costco. Her sport. <laughs> so we go to Costco and she gets that big ass cart and she goes up and down every aisle. We've been there a hundred times, but she goes up and down every aisle. Look at the size of that relish. Like she, those Cheez-Its, there must be a thousand Cheez-Its in that box. <laughs> Like mom, the, the same cheese that's box has been oh, here for weeks. I know, and and then like in the, at Costco, they have these giant things. They have mounds of meat. It's like this very very red ground beef, and yeah. you buy them in six and seven pound packages, and it just like it comes out of the grinder, and it's like this perfectly bloody hunks of meat. And she's just like, look at that beautiful meat. <laughs> and she just she loves the freaking Costco me, and so it's just like, and now I know that I have inherited that uh -huh. from her because. I'll be at the store and I'll call Ken on the phone and say, if you had your choice between the veggie salmon burger and the teriyaki salmon burger, which one would you choose? He's like, uh, whichever one you like. It's just like, he's not going to get trapped yeah. in my maze of grocery hell. <laughs> that sounds like, like it's more Dan is he'll be in the grocery store and I can't, I, it drives me, I, I really try to be so patient when we go together. And he likes to, he's like comparing things yeah. and like, and there's like, you know, well, these, this unit's by this one. And it's like, if I get this one, it'll be more than this. And he's like doing math. And I'm, yeah. and I'm by this, by this point, like I've left, left him in one aisle and I've gone and like picked up like several other things. And he's still in that one aisle, like trying oh, yeah. to figure out like which olive oil to get. Yeah. <laughs> this says extra virgin, but what does that really mean? <laughs> he's like, like go, go and <laughs> I know. <laughs> I see, and, and, and Ken is you, because he's just like, mm, he doesn't even want to get a cart half the time. We can carry it. I'm like, no, we can't. <laughs> That's me. It's like, no, we'll be fine. <laughs> so. Okay. So my list. <clears throat> okay. Not as well thought out as yours, but <laughs> see, but you did give me two weeks warning. That was yeah. the, that was the thing. I, I did mine yesterday. So, <laughs> um, one, I would travel overseas more because, as we were talking about, <laughs> there's a fear, an irrational fear of being kidnapped. No, see, I can, you, I feel sympathy. I understand. So with that, it's like fuck it. Yeah, go. yeah. Like let's do it. Let's go. Go. Um, I would learn several languages. Yeah. <clears throat> because, you know, with all, all the overseas traveling, you know, you want to. You're going to need it. Yeah. I would learn a lot. Like, I would take a lot of courses and classes and I just keep, like, learning more and more things because I'm going to need more and more skills to make money. Uh, Do you know about one. Duolingo? Yes. <laughs> I have it on my phone though I have not I used it but I like to peruse the languages that are available yes I have it on my phone I used it for like a month and then forgot about it and then every so often I'm like looking through some, oh yeah I have this on here I should probably get back to that yeah. <laughs> um, oh I would learn to surf really mm -hmm. and probably just do a couple more like adventurous sports type yeah. things like because it does look really stuff. cool doesn't it it yeah. just looks like you're 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 just balancing on water right you're it looks amazing it's a it's gorgeous it's graceful yeah and like i can skateboard i feel like you know i can in theory i might be able to do it but are there any black surfers not that i know of i mean i know that in foreign countries where these things actually originated I mean, people you mean like of professional color, like invented them but right. i mean like are there any like on the American like surf circuit? Are there are I there don't any? Know. I really don't know. I'm not you that could well be versed. The in first, <laughs> you could, Camila. It's not gonna happen. 
Don't wait for immortality. Do it now. <laughs> Not gonna. Well, little secret. I don't know how to swim. So. <laughs> That'll stop you. <laughs> so that's usually that's the first yeah. thing that puts the that pumps those brakes. <laughs> and um, um, finally, I would be a, a lot more outgoing. Because you need to make friends with all your friends dying off around you, oh, so yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna Good have point. to learn to talk to people much better and um, to just like make new friends. So it'd be much more outgoing. You are right. That's true. How would you navigate the whole staying relevant part of it? Like not being like you know back in 2014 <laughs> when Donald Trump said he wanted to be president, like. How that would be hard. Well, it's almost kind of like what we have to do now. Like, and I'm True. I'm barely hanging on staying relevant as is because I've already I've like given up most of the like MTV and you know <sighs> BET. I don't watch that. Like, I I think a lot of it is I'm really good at taking cues from conversation and bits of information and faking like I know what's being talked about. And then, <laughs> and then like figuring out as I go yeah. kind of thing. So um, that's kind of what I do with the young folk. Like when they come talking to me about certain things. I mean, unless it's like something really completely outrageous. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying to me right now. Yeah. And <clears throat> I've had to do that with like cousins who are like in their 20s. Like you were texting me gibberish. What does this mean? Yeah. What do these letters stand for? I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel you. I, there are a few people at work who I'm really close to and it's Allison and uh, Samantha and a couple other people and they'll say and then we went to blah 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 and saw Naked Bingo and I'm like what? Like I just sit there and grill them on every aspect of the thing that they're doing so I'll know about it and I just I'm like it's it's fascinating what you young people do with yourselves Yeah, and it's like I don't know there's a weird thing where you feel like is there anything worse than an aging hipster? Mm. <laughs> like, I love music, and I love going out, and I love doing stuff, but I don't want to be, like, I never want to be that lady who does that it's time to put on a bra. Like, I don't want to be that lady. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, and I don't think, I don't think I'm, I'm definitely not in danger of that, because it takes a lot to get me out of my house. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the winters. Yeah. So, I've already bypassed the going out to bars, like, or, like, clubs yeah like i haven't stepped foot in a club in years yeah um though i love a good bar yeah like a nice dive bar yeah. or, or something like a good jukebox yeah that's what i'm down that's yeah. what i'm here for yeah or like i've, I've been seeing these things going on <clears throat> like around the uh face uh, the facebook around facebook <laughs> that's okay i say it all the time oh i was on the facebook yesterday <laughs> they're starting to do these things called like home by 10 parties and I'm like, yes, finally. Really? <laughs> yes, that is right up my alley. That is my zhuzh. You start early and you just, you're home by 10. Yeah, dude. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. <laughs> That's the kind of parties I can get down with. Man. Now, okay, so there's one more aspect of this. Okay. I'm going to ask you a random question. Oh. Out of 4,000 questions for getting to know anyone and everyone. All right. How often would you be embarrassed if others knew exactly what was on your mind? 10 to 15 times a day. 
Really? Really. <laughs> 10 to 15 times a day. Is it just because you've got some like weird, just random thing floating around in your brain or you've got naughty thoughts in your head? <laughs> it's a combo platter. It's like some of all of those things. Like I will be like looking at somebody and think like, oh my God, I wonder what they look like naked. <laughs> like I will actually just think that about random, just random, random people. people. And it doesn't have to be somebody who's necessarily attractive. It's just right. like, it's like. I wonder what all of that looks like without clothes on. <laughs> or I have a tendency when I think I'm alone to talk to myself. You oh, know? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Where I've thought I was alone, like in my office. Like, we, there's like mm-hmm. f- four offices in my suite. And like, I've, and, or it's times like I think, I'm pretty sure I'm, I've spoken out loud or I'm thinking in my brain or I don't know. I speak, I talk to myself and I speak out loud but I don't really know until somebody pops up on me. Was I actually talking out loud mm-hmm. or was I just thinking that really loudly? And I'm usually embarrassed. So I, I'm, I'm learning that same thing. So I, I think if somebody actually thought, could hear what I was thinking in my head when I'm saying the things to myself and the things I say aren't, aren't like deep things or serious things. They're just like, you know, it's just like the random crap that runs through your head. Like I'll be in the bathroom and I'll say like, how many times do you have to wash my hands in one day? <laughs> They're getting all ashy and chapped. Like, it's just it's shit like that. That just Sometimes I really do think, like, thank God people can't hear what's happening in there. No, it's usually funny because I... Like, it's funny to see me in my brain to get from point A to point like Z like what will lead me to this and I thought of this and I thought of this and then I thought of that and then yeah. that's why I asked you about Mexican clowns so it'll be like, yeah. like how did where did that come right. from and it's like there is nothing linear in this thought process you couldn't have found a more convoluted way right to get... I started off with tic tacs ended up with Mexican <laughs> clowns I don't know yeah yeah and then just things you just you're glad you don't say out loud like where does toenail fungus come from? Like, where does it come from? How can you have something that is so serious that you have to take a prescription drug that can give you liver damage? And it's just on your toenails? The, where did that, why? What are you doing with your feet? Exactly. Where are you walking barefoot? Where'd you go? Where did you go? Because at this point, like, like on the, for the most part, you should have two layers mm-hmm. over your feet the yeah. majority of the day. So what are you doing with your life? You need to reevaluate some situations. Yeah. Or you'll have random old boyfriend thoughts like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Yeah. What was on my mind? Yeah. And, and like you'll replay like an episode from that. So yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> at least a dozen times a day I would be in a bad way if people could see what I was thinking about. Well, all right. Well, <laughs> Manette, that brings us to the end of our Almost two hours. Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, I've kept you I'm so sorry. Long. Wow. But that was really fun. I had a great time. I did too. And I'm so happy that you, we found the time for you to come and hang out and chat. And I'm very glad we did you, this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you ask me back, I'll bring a bottle of whiskey. And then so I'm opening calendars now <laughs> to find out when is the next time I get my Maybe next time we, I can have you on a, when we can um, discuss a movie. Oh, that would be good. Yes. We could watch a movie together. Yes. That would be I good. like it. Yeah. All right. That's the plan. So where can folks, do you tweet? Can folks find you? Or, or I have a Twitter do you, account. Do you work the Facebook? I do work the Facebook. <laughs> I'm very dexterous with the Facebook. 
<laughs> where can we find uh, like when is filmmakers corner on when? um filmmakers corner starts its new season on october 24th we're moving to nine o'clock on saturday nights okay. um people can look me up on facebook i have a twitter account which i'm very shabby with so don't hold that against me <laughs> hit me on a facebook all right um, that's the way to go or you can always contact me at mc to wqed.org if you've got a question about a show or how to submit a film to the show or just basically where did we put all that stuff from mr rogers neighborhood like any of those things you anything can email <laughs> me about them book. nothing personal <laughs> awesome. i'm not going to respond if you send me anything uh, personal an open professional book there you go <laughs> <laughs> excellent and as always, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Rugged Angel. And you can check out Rugged Angel Productions on Facebook. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Um, yeah, SoundCloud. You can find me there, too. So until next time. This has been a Rugged Angel Production.